Hey there, thanks for joining me today for another episode of Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Betty. I'm a certified lymphedema therapist, passionate lymphedema advocate, wife, mother, and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. What began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries. Whether you're a patient, caregiver, or medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there is an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I am so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Welcome back for episode 97 of Lymphedema Podcast. This is Medical Trauma Part 2. Last week, I shared a portion of my conversation with Allison, a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, registered play therapist supervisor, and an approved EMDR consultant. If you missed last week's episode, please go back and listen as it lays the foundation for what medical trauma is and some primary signs and symptoms that you may be experiencing and you may not even realize it is tied to medical trauma that you have experienced in the past. Let's jump back into our conversation from last week. I would like to review a few more of the red flags that you talked about. Sure. So you had talked about intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Can those be harmful thoughts or are they, because you also brought yeah. up um, belief about self. So a, an intrusive thought could be like, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm yes. not. I don't want to bother anyone or burden anyone. Yes. But can it also be, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Like I yeah. should just, you know, not be here because I'm a burden. Yes. When it gets to the point of what, what do I want to do about this thought of, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm starting to form a plan about that. That's more of an emergency situation where we, we need to intervene in that quickly. Um, if someone isn't to the planning and action step yet, but there you can kind of, you just, you know, see in their eyes or you see, um, in your child's mannerism, mm-hmm. um, the behavior, even how I'm, I'm thinking of it. I'm going to probably have to break it up into multiple examples, but as a parent, how do you address that without saying you load up, I'm taking you to Allison's right now. We're talking about <laughs> Um, yeah. How do you approach that in a sensitive way and help them feel safe to mm-hmm. tell you? Yeah, that's a really great question. And um, I think first off, just being able to reflect back to them that it makes total sense that they're feeling the way they're feeling. And your, your job as a parent isn't to talk them out of their feelings. It's to validate their feelings. Um, you're going through a really hard time and people going through hard times like this, lots of times they feel yucky about themselves, or they might think yucky thoughts about themselves. Like I, why would anybody want me around? Or I don't want people to have to you know, do all this stuff for me, or people think I'm strange, or I'm different, or, you know, whatever it is. And oftentimes, I'll, you know, help parents come up with kind of a list of things that we think the child might be believing about themselves, and to propose and, uh, 
And often the child will kind of land on one and go, yeah, that's it. And that's what I'm believing. And, uh, and if it's something more along the lines of, I don't want to be here anymore, we validate that and um, give some empathy and compassion for, gosh, it's really hard to be feeling that way. And it's, you must be feeling really sad and really hopeless to be feeling that way. And that alone will open the door for the child to think, okay, it must be okay. Mom and dad aren't freaking out over this. And if the parent is responding calmly and caringly, then that's going to leave the door for communication open. And it's good for the parent also to say, well, is there anything you want to do about that to see if there's the child has actually thought through and having a plan And because you really do need to know whether they have parents are often concerned that they're planting a seed and they're, they're not. And it's, it's good to know that whether there's a plan or not. And, and then being able to suggest to the child that they deserve to have some support with all these big feelings. Lots of kids have big feelings like this and lots of kids in this situation of course, they're going to have big feelings and it's good to get some support. And there are people that can give you support for these big feelings. And we know some people and we're going to get somebody for you. That's a really good way to have that conversation, especially with the kids. So you're not being too detailed. I think often more is better. I want to be overly detailed Um, And I have to rein myself in sometimes when talking to kids or something to not be too, not graphic as in like a inappropriate way, but, you know, held and graphic on what is the lymphatic system? What can it do to your body? How can it make changes? Um, They don't really need all of that yet because they're already processing so much. So I think just reflecting and Mm -hmm. validating and then doing just a little check in on Mm -hmm you know, what do you want to do about those feelings? Would you like to talk to someone else? Have you, have you thought about how you want to handle it? And if they tell you they've had a plan, then that's a much more Mm -hmm. emergent situation of or something for a period of time to make sure they're feeling supported. If a child's at the point where they're saying they don't want to be here anymore, I wouldn't ask them if they wanted to talk to somebody about it. I would say, it's a good idea for us to go talk to somebody about it. And kids don't have a stigma about counseling. They might have a fear of talking to strangers about something. Adults have a stigma about counseling. Adults tend to think there must be something wrong with me or my kid, or I'm not a good parent if my kid needs counseling. As a parent, way before I became a counselor, as a parent who took my child to counseling, I realized, oh, wait, it's it's the parents who are really good at parenting that take their kids to counseling because I know I messed my kids up and I need some help on how to, how to help support them. I didn't do everything right. We, none of us can, yeah. you know, we're, impossible. We're, it, it's totally impossible, especially when our kids have extra things going on with them that, you know, there's, there's not books on all of this and there's no way to learn all of this. So I, I think it's a strength in us to be able to get our kids the support that they need. And there are times where we just have to make that decision for them and matter of factly say, Hey, you deserve this. And I love you so much that we're going to go do this and we're, we'll go do this together. 
I like that. If it's an adult who lives alone or a young adult in college, how would you recommend, you know, that they go about that if they don't have someone actively checking in with them? Um, who would you recommend? Should they call somebody? Should they, is there, I mean, there's not a hotline for just anxiety. I don't know, know if that's the right word to use there, but how would you recommend someone taking action steps to yeah. help manage this for themselves if if they're not a child in, in their parents' house anymore? Right. And there is a website that um, it's international and it's called Emdria, E-M-D-R-I-A dot org. Um, and it is for the particular trauma therapy that I do. And so people who are on that website um, have had to go through lots of extensive training to be able to be on that website. And you can go on there and search for somebody in your area. It's got a, a good search engine there. Um, and, you know, not all therapists are great fits for everybody. And I will be the first to say, to say not all therapists are great therapists. Sometimes you have to shop around a little bit to find somebody who's going to work out for you. And, um, but that's a good start because at least, you know, that that person is going to know about trauma and they can list on there that they actually specialize in medical trauma. Uh, and you can find somebody that's in your zip code or close to your zip code. So many people are doing online work these days as well. So, and um, it's a lot more accessible. There's also some good um, apps you can get. It's not a, a good substitute for therapy, but it's apps that can help you build some coping mechanisms for yourself, at least in that, that gap until you're able to get in to see somebody. I'm looking at the website right now and they have good resources on here. It yeah. is definitely a great website to check out. I'll be sure to link that in the notes and on the blog post for the episode. For yeah. Our- because this is a really good resource. And if you are an adult at that point of feeling pretty hopeless, life doesn't feel great, there are suicide hotlines everywhere. And even if you're not at the point of feeling suicidal, you can absolutely call somebody and just have a person to talk to. And that can be really helpful. I want to turn the focus for a second on therapist as a lymphedema therapist. Um, I used the word trauma informed earlier. Mm-hmm. How might a lymphedema therapist, a physician, anyone in the medical community become trauma informed and be able to recognize these to maybe plant that seed with their patients, with their clients to say, you know, I'm seeing some of these red flags in you, or I'm hearing you say, I'm um, having these thoughts and then maybe direct them to a, an additional professional to help them with, with the medical trauma counseling. Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I think just really being able to be aware of these flags that we've talked about today and in the course of your work and just as you're talking to your patients, being able to hear what they're telling you and and reflect back to them what they're hearing about 
their experiences. And again, the validation I think is huge, especially from you guys in the medical profession uh, for, for patients to be able to hear you guys say, oh my gosh, that was a hard experience for you. Uh, that was, that was, must've been really scary or really terrifying. Have you had support for that? Has, have you been able to, to get that resolved or do you get nightmares? Is that something that comes up for you a lot? Does that make coming to appointments difficult for you? Or even noticing, I've noticed you've canceled a lot of your appointments lately. I wonder if it's difficult for you to make yourself come in. Is there a reason that's difficult? Even being able to recognize things like that and might tell you there's something under there that's that they're avoiding. And that could be a reason that they might need some extra support. Those are good points. I'm all of these are making me think of times where I've experienced this or seen this in a patient in the clinic before. And I'm thinking back to how did I handle that (laughs) (laughs) moving forward? I hope to pay attention to those red flags and, and not just brush it off as an awkward conversation. I don't want to have in physical therapy, we joke and it is not the best joke. I'm understanding right now when people will lay down and, you know, they lay on the mat and they start doing exercise and then they just start to unload their Mm -hmm. thoughts and their home life and their fight with their sister. And we used to joke and say, well, we're not that type of therapist. This isn't the same type of couch. Um, And we hear that all the time. Just people want to share. And sometimes I've dismissed it. If, you know, my brain or my heart wasn't ready to, you know, sit there and play therapist that way. Yes. So I want to now be more aware of that Mm -hmm. when they share that with me. And I hope that this is something the red flags listed and how in depth you talked about those, that that will help therapists to say, Hey, you know, I've seen some of these and now I know what to do with their thoughts as far as recommending them to the Imdria website, or uh, maybe even reading that book. I'm going to try to link it as well. Um, learning about how we have in the medical field, you know, caused harm. And that's really our first call to action is do no harm um, in our medical practices. So this is great. I just love this conversation, the education that's behind this for us to, from patient, caregiver, clinician, to be able to apply this. Mm -hmm. I think this is really, really great. Lymphedema Podcast is made possible by the support of Eros Medical, Bryland's Feet Foundation, Dr. Jenna Wishnu at Lamb Vascular and Associates, Juzo Compression, MediUSA, and the National Lymphedema Network. For more information and to browse previous episodes, visit the Lymphedema Podcast website. I want to recap, since we have covered so much, a couple of our red flags that we talked about could be intrusive thoughts avoidance, emotional avoidance. So not just physical of people, places, or treatment, but also emotional avoidance of not wanting to discuss or maybe deflecting and talking about something else. The hypervigilance of symptoms, um, hyper-awareness of what's going on with them and potentially thinking worst case scenario, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get hurt because of this. I'm in shame and beliefs about themselves that aren't true and thinking they're burdensome or a problem. And then we talked about in children, behavior changes and sensory issues. Um, that could be a form of a red flag for medical trauma. 
And then I'm going to include the book. Um, but you also talked about a way to address some of these red flags is to reflect and validate if they're feeling as if, you know, they are too much of a burden. And I'm talking at least in the worst case of, you know, suicidal thoughts and intrusive thoughts that are harmful to themselves or others. Um, and just reflecting and validating. And then if you hear an action plan or thoughts of a plan to get emergency help so that they can't harm themselves or others. I think I covered all of those. I tried to make really good notes because I want to have these down for myself. You did great. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I would say to sum it up is for uh, people to understand that their experience is their experience. It it's in the context of your life and it's okay to think and feel however you are about it, no matter how it compares to anyone else's experience. And so for the professional to also hear that um, each patient's experience is going to be their own experience. Even if you look at their condition and think, well, the person who came in before them was so much worse off and they seem fine. Um, and yet this person's condition doesn't seem so bad and yet they seem to be really suffering. It's all in the context of their entire life. What kind of support have they had throughout it? What other experiences have they had that have affected it? And each person experiences things in their own way and can be impacted very differently. So that's, that's one of the big things that I want people to take away from this. And I believe everyone living with a chronic condition or living with a person with a chronic condition deserves to have some outside support from somebody at some point who is not um, emotionally uh, tied up in their life. And that can be uh, caring, um, but uh, objective. We tend to take the ER approach to therapy, like got to be in crisis before we go in. You know, we've got to have, you know, a limb cut off before we head to the ER. But we can actually get a whole bunch more work done when life is tootling along pretty well so that when we do get into the crisis, which unfortunately for those of us who have medical conditions, things happen and we can onboard tools to be able to handle those in a way that it can prevent it from being a traumatic experience if we can get some of that work done beforehand. So it's not there to bite us in the rear when something does happen. Yeah. And wouldn't that be the best outcome for any of us? Absolutely. Get ahead of it. I think of, yeah, I have no idea now where I heard it, but how they say in the U S we practice sick care and not health. Yes, exactly. Only do something when it's emergent. Like you said, the arm has to be before we go in or our world has to be crumbling before we think maybe this will help me manage these emotions. That's exactly it playing it safe and being proactive instead of reactive is a great, exactly. is a great way to handle that chronic condition. Yeah. The last couple things that I wanted to say, and um, that I didn't mention before, another red flag is just having a reaction to something happening that seems a lot bigger than this situation. So, you know, something little happens at the grocery store. I I've heard it called a, a $5 reaction to a 50 cent problem. Mm-hmm. And my reaction is so much bigger than what the situation would call for. And I'm reflecting on that later. That could be a symptom that there's an underlying thing that didn't get resolved for me that I maybe need to look at. So um, 
if I can get that thing resolved, then it's not going to interfere with my day-to-day. People always ask me, why do I have to go back and look at the past stuff? It's done. It's over. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about that stuff. Well, the I don't want to talk about that stuff is kind of the flag that we maybe need to talk about that stuff. And the wonderful thing about EMDR therapy is you don't actually have to go back and relive the trauma. You don't even have to, and even with children, and we don't have to even have to to talk about exactly what happened for the brain to be able to process through it. And so it's it's not a re-exposure therapy or anything, which is really a wonderful tool to be able to use, to be able to heal from that. The other thing is, as you uh, talked about before, the whole, and we're really realizing the whole mind-body connection goes far deeper than we realized before. It's the body is designed to move towards healing. And what we're realizing is the um, psychological aspect of what's going on in our mind can really promote our body physically to move towards healing, or it can get in the way of it moving towards healing. So like you talked about stress, exacerbating inflammation, uh, we, we know that that can stress can cause actual real physiological symptoms to get worse. And so if we can work on ways to manage that stress and, and to be able to, to lower those types of things, to be able to resolve that trauma, then the body's going to be able to function more in the way that it needs to function uh, to be able to feel better. Like (laughs) my brain is exploding all over the place. This is, I just, I feel, I know that this is such helpful information to be able to share with the lymphedema community and especially the kickoff here of lymphedema awareness month in March. It's more than just our physical lymphedema symptoms that are present. You know, that is what you have to wake up every morning and look in the mirror as a physical ever present reminder that I have a chronic and progressive condition. I cannot wake up in the morning and take off my leg or take off this really heavy arm or take off my face, even for people who have lymphedema globally and in their face. And I know that addressing these and being able to do some self-reflection on their medical past and being being able to apply that to their present and improve their future is really everything I could. I mean, I could probably stop the podcast for the rest of the year after this episode, we're done. I'm sure you have lots more important information. I, I mean, there's good things to talk about, but this is definitely Absolutely. one. So I want to clarify really quickly, the parents, the caregivers, yes. significant others, people who are living, living life side by side, you may not have lymphedema, but you have lymphedema in your life mm-hmm. and how can they seek help? Is the Imdria website also a good Mm -hmm. resource for them to seek out someone for medical trauma? Is that another form of trauma counseling or is it still medical trauma counseling for them? Yes, absolutely. It's a great place for them. Uh, We know that uh, being in a caregiving role uh, is is a trauma itself. Um, it can be a primary trauma. It can be a secondary trauma, depending on what um, what has occurred for them. Um, and it can definitely be a relational trauma for them as well. So yes, that's a great place for them. And the statistic I gave earlier uh, that it can affect parents even more so sometimes than children. 
um, is, is a big one. So I, I really encourage parents. There is a phenomenon that occurs for uh, parents and the stress is, is huge on them. And the child picks up on that and they will start to shield their parents from what they see their parent, at, the worrying, the overprotecting, the the fussing around the child, the parent, the child sees that parent's emotions, even the strongest, most wonderful, greatest parent, the child can sense that that parent is feeling these big emotions and, and the child starts to take care of the parent. And uh, that creates a child who care gives too much and carries this burden that children aren't meant to carry. And um, they constantly go through life feeling like I'm not enough to be able to, to make mom happy, to make dad happy. And then that carries over into other relationships. And, um, and that's too much on the child. And so parents need to be able to get their own support and their own therapy so that they can be able to do what they need to do as the parent in the, in the parent child relationship so that the child can just be the kid and be able to handle things in a kid way without having to worry about mom or dad. I've seen that. I've seen yeah. that play out and I and did the best of parents do it and it's not their fault. They're doing the they best were. they can in a hard, hard, hard situation. I believe every parent is doing the best that they can do in, in the situations they're in. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, all the parents, um, working with camp, watch me families, they have all been top notch. I mean, yes. great parents. And mm -hmm. I would not, I would not say that any of them, you know, have intentionally done anything wrong. Obviously no. they have not. Um, but I have seen some of the kids where they say, I don't, I can't do this because my mom will be scared or my, yes. my dad will worry. Yes. And so I never thought about that until you just said it again, yeah. so many light bulb moments, um, to where now I recognize some more of those times. And this is just another element of me growing and becoming trauma informed. So I can identify those points. So thank yeah. you. I really appreciate everything that you've taught me today. Thanks for letting me be here. You're welcome. Allison. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you would like to add before we close out for the day? I'm, I'm just excited for, for you and your community being able to understand this a little bit better. And there's just a lot, a lot here that I think can really empower people. Trauma is, is disempowerment and, and not being able to have control. And medical trauma in particular is all about this lack of control over myself, my body, being able to get some of that control back by being able to understand it and get some healing from it is huge. So I'm excited for the people that listen to be able to, to get on that road. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about medical trauma Remember, if there's a topic you're looking for, the website has a full library of the podcast. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.